0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, May 14th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village announces candidates for council election, a day in the life of a minor with Finton Cole, state legislature on the road to end of session, and a mountain weather forecast. An election for Mountain Village Town Council is coming up next month. On Friday, Mountain Village announced the candidates who are vying for three seats. Patrick Berry, Dustin Clements, Jack Gilbride, Heather Knox, Harvey Mogensen, Yvette Rauf, and Douglas Tooley all made it on the ballot. Barry and Gilbride are incumbents running for re-election. Current town council member Natalie Binder will not be seeking re-election for her seat. The elected council members will join Leila Benitez, Dan Caton, Marty Prohaska, and Pete Dupre to complete Mountain Village's town council. Next week, Mountain Village will hold a drawing to determine the order in which the candidates will appear on the ballot. Candidate bios will also be available on the Mountain Village website. Mountain Village's election will take place on Tuesday, June 29th. Voting will take place in person and by mail. Ballots will be sent to voters June 7th. Voting is open to both permanent residents of Mountain Village and part-time residents who own property in the town. The voter registration deadline is Friday, May 28th. You can't touch this.
1: You can't touch this.
0: Sports are in full swing. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole gives a recap on what's going on. Have a listen. This. Look at my
1: eyes, man. This.
2: this is Finton Cole on your sports update. The boys' junior varsity team swept the Grand Junction Tigers by a score of 9 to nothing. I got hit in the leg by a lacrosse ball, but was up after seconds. I returned to the field after that. The boys' varsity lacrosse team won against the Grand Junction Tigers by a score of 15 to 14. The ending was spectacular as the team fell behind after 45 minutes into the game. Both teams will play against the Montrose Indians. However, I regret to inform you that the track team senior Jake Green, sophomore Beck Gilliland, junior Nick Turin, Junior Logan Stevens, Senior Nate Ives, and Junior Ethan Pale did not place in the Mancos Qualifiers. Oh well, perhaps they will have a better chance at the next meet. Our Ladies of American Soccer swept the center Vikings 10 to nothing and left them sinking in their ship. Good job girls and we hope you end up with a perfect season. That was your update for this week and we'll see you after the game.
0: The Colorado General Assembly is just about a month away from gaveling out for the session. But major bills are still making their way through. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Scott Franz discusses bills on the road to becoming law. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me today.
3: Hey, my pleasure, Julia.
0: So I first wanted to touch base with you. Um, we are about one month from the session wrapping up for 2021, and so I wanted to see, you know, what's what's the mood like at the Capitol? How are people feeling with one month to go?
3: Well, I think people are feeling uh, pretty good, actually. It's uh, definitely a little more chaotic um, getting interviews with lawmakers. You know, where we do have about a month left, but there's still so much work that's kind of up in the air right now. You know, you've got three gun bills that still, you know, need four votes um, in both chambers. You've got a major, you know, probably one of the biggest transportation bills that's been introduced in recent years. Um, you know, there's a tax reform effort just launched this week, stimulus bills still, still moving through. So um, I think last week it hit me that, you know, a lot of my Uh, nights are going to be taken in the next couple of weeks because, uh, you know, we do have all so many hearings and things going on. It's, um, you know, controlled chaos is probably the, the word I'd use to describe it right now.
0: So you you touched on or you mentioned two of the things that I wanted to touch base with you on. And the first one is that transportation bill. You mentioned it's one of the biggest one that's been introduced in several years. Can you explain a little bit what is in this bill and what it's looking to do?
3: Right. Well, I think listeners would be interested to hear that this bill includes uh, several new fees they would have to pay. Um, I'll start with kind of the range of them on you know, everything from your Amazon deliveries uh, to uh, the price you pay at the gas pump. Um, You know, even electric vehicle owners will will pay new fees uh, under this proposal. And and the thinking is, um, you know, supporters of the measure say that, you know, the, the gas tax hasn't been increased since the early 90s. And, you know, a lot of the usage we're seeing on our roads comes from people who aren't going to the gas pump. So you're not capturing you know, an investment from them, even though, you know, they are using the roads each day with, you know, the, the things they get delivered from Amazon, you know, a truck is driving through their neighborhood or, you know, they hop in an Uber um, or a Lyft, you know, that car is still, um, you know, having wear and tear on, on the roads and, and bridges that it drives over. So, you know, it, it fundamentally it's trying to change how Colorado's transportation system uh, is funded, you know, one that puts a lot of the, um, you know, investment on the actual user. Now, you know, this has created a, an interesting debate at the Capitol now between, you know, people who say, we need this money because our roads are terrible and, um, you know, have been neglected for so many years in so many places, um, and people who say, wait a minute, you know, uh, this is a really tough time financially for us because of the pandemic, because of everything... You know, why are we putting this new burden on
0: people? You've also reported that, you know, voters have not uh, voted to support taxes that maybe do a similar thing like this in the past. And so for lawmakers, you know, what is there who support this bill? What is their rationale to say, you know, we're not trusting that the voters are telling us what they want and we think that this is an important thing to implement anyway?
3: Yeah, well, the, the supporters are really pointing to, uh, you know, the, the benefits. They like to focus on, you know, the, the projections that, you know, the, this combination of fees will raise more than, you know, in their estimates, uh, more than $3 billion in the next decade. Um, you know, they also say that, you know, the state is going to be making significant investments from its general fund into this, so not only... You know, user fees, but also the general assembly saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to invest more than a billion dollars in roads and transportation ourselves." You know, the the tax question is interesting because lawmakers are trying to do this in a way that that doesn't go to the ballot box, um, that creates these sort of enterprises, and you know, they they just say that you know they've waited long enough, and they're you know they're getting mayors on board from from both sides of the aisle. And that's what they're trying to showcase right now is, you know, fixing roads is a bipartisan issue. You know, they feel it's important enough to to kind of impose these fees without going to voters.
0: I also wanted to touch base with you today about an issue that we have talked about a lot uh, this session, and that is gun reform legislation that is going through um, at the state capitol. And I wanted to check in with you specifically. You know, there are these bills that have been introduced in part in the wake of the Boulder shooting. But then there was another mass shooting in Colorado Springs just last weekend. And I'm curious to to hear if there has been, if that has added to the conversation or shifted the way that that people are, or lawmakers are thinking about these bills that are going through.
3: So far, I haven't seen an immediate impact on the legislation that's that's already been introduced. But I do think it's, you know, for people who are supporting these gun measures in the first place, before um, you know, before the latest tragedy, it just really reinforced the urgency in in passing them. Um, they, you know, are are pointing to these tragedies as um, being preventable, and um, you know, they they do have you know the biggest range of gun legislation in the capital in, in many years. So. I think this latest tragedy just, you know, in a way is empowering the the lawmakers who, you know, are pursuing these new regulations.
0: Scott, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with me today.
3: Hey, my pleasure, Julia. Thank you.
0: That was KOTO Scott Franz reporting from Denver. For the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, building back post-COVID is slow and steady.
4: We're still clearly on a recovery trajectory um, in the broader region, and I think we're seeing that in the usage of the transit service.
0: That's SMART Executive Director David Avril updating the transit body's board of directors at their monthly meeting this week. Ridership is increasing, but it's still down from pre-COVID levels.
4: Norwood's running down about 30% of what we saw before the pandemic, Lawson's down about 50%. Um, I attribute that mainly to the capacity constraint on Lawson. Um, very small vehicles, about half the capacity that we were running there.
0: But, Averill adds, they're seeing their strongest numbers ever on the RICO service.
4: Which is great, <laughs> um, that there's that, that service is building, that people are using it. So that's, that's one positive takeaway there.
0: All in all, Averill says it's gradual growth in the right direction. Once the loss in service resumes after off-season, he adds they'll be able to increase its load to 75% capacity thanks to loosening public health restrictions. Averill predicts that will also help boost ridership numbers. In the meantime, Smart is adding a sweeper van to ride behind the off-season buses and pick up anyone who couldn't get on because of capacity restrictions. But it will be limited. Here's senior planner and operations manager Eric Lang.
3: That's going to only run though during Monday Friday through, um, let's see, seven to ten in the morning, and then three fifteen to six p.m. Basically, commuter hours is where we're seeing that crush.
0: Thursday was also Lang's last board meeting with SMART. He's leaving the transit body to head to graduate school. A replacement has not yet been announced. Also during this week's meeting, Smart Board Chair and County Commissioner Chris Holstrom announced the Colorado Department of Transportation decided not to move forward with plans for two chain-up stations in the region this year, after extensive public comment against the sites due to anticipated light pollution and wildlife impacts. CDOT Holstrom notes will re-examine their plans. By a narrow margin last year, Colorado voters approved the reintroduction of gray wolves into the state. As part of the measure, Colorado Parks and Wildlife must have a plan and pause on the ground by 2023. In the planning process for what that will look like, CPW is hosting an online education session discussing wolf reintroduction efforts. The session will look at the logistics of reintroducing wolves and lessons learned from past efforts. Speakers will include U.S. Fish and Wildlife Officers. They will discuss the logistics and considerations that took place in the mid-90s when wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone and central Idaho, in addition to experience establishing and managing wolves in the northern Rockies. Participants will also have the opportunity to ask questions during the presentation. The session is the second of three. The final will take place in June and focus on livestock conflict management. The education session will take place on Thursday, May 20th from 6 to 8 p.m. via Zoom. Registration for the event is required. Sign up is available at cpw.state.co.us. The presentations are also recorded and available for viewing later. The Colorado Department of Transportation will be performing shoulder work on Highway 550 north of Ridgeway next week. The work will take place just south of the Montrose County line on an approximately four-mile stretch of road. Motorists will encounter single-lane alternating traffic with up to 15-minute delays. Road work is scheduled to begin Monday, May 17th and run through Thursday, May 20th. Construction will run from 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Republican Representative Lauren Boebert's staff was in Telluride on Friday, meeting with constituents at the Wilkinson Public Library. The congresswoman was not in town herself. However, last week, Representative Boebert did make a stop in Lake City while on a trip around the 3rd Congressional District. KVNF's Laura Palmasano brings this report from the event.
4: Colorado's 3rd Congressional District spans 29 counties, stretching from the northwest corner of the state to the southeast corner. This expansive district is home to Lake City, the only town in Hinsdale County. Officials describe it as the most remote county in the lower 48 states. Republican U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert of Silt held a public event in Lake City at Veterans Park in front of the county courthouse. A largely supportive crowd gathered to hear her speak. Several in the audience were toting firearms, like Bobert, who had her signature handgun strapped to her hip. First, the three county commissioners welcomed her on her first visit to the area. Commissioner Christine Borschers described issues the community faces, such as the threat of wildfires, aging infrastructure, and the need for more affordable housing.
5: We never have enough money in Hinsdale County, ever, for anything, so we always need money.
4: Hinsdale County is 96% public lands. Commissioner Robert Hurd told Boebert while he values these lands, they don't bring in property tax revenue, a major source of funding for the county.
1: And I talked to you on a Zoom meeting the other day, and as you're gracious as always, uh, we talked about the more pill. I mean, that gets right to the nuts and bolts of money from these federal lands.
4: He asked for her support in lobbying for additional PILT funding, payment in lieu of taxes. The program compensates local governments for federal lands that aren't taxable. After the commissioners finished talking, Bobert spoke for about 15 minutes.
5: Forest management is something that uh, is very, very important to me in being able to manage our forests, be able to mechanically thin our forests and not lock up our lands.
4: Boebert reminded the audience she serves on the National Resources Committee, but is in the minority as a Republican lawmaker.
5: The majority of the House determines what happens when we are in Washington, D.C. They determine what goes through committee. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of bipartisan work that takes place. It's all about pushing through a very radical agenda as quickly as possible.
4: Boebert went on to voice her opposition to Democratic U.S. Representative Diana DeGette's Colorado Wilderness Act. The legislation would designate more than 600,000 acres in the state as wilderness. It aligns with President Biden's call to conserve 30% of the country's land and water by 2030. Boebert eventually addressed the federal PILT program, saying she's introduced legislation on the topic.
5: It forces a study to even compensate you fair market value. Um, I know in counties like uh, Hinsdale, your population has a lot to do with your compensation. And where some folks get as much as 40-some cents an acre, you're getting more, what, maybe
4: seven, 10. also accused her predecessor, Scott Tipton, of not turning over constituent active case files to her office, a charge former Tipton staffers deny.
5: It it doesn't hurt me, it hurts you. And so it's really unfortunate, but there's legislation that I've introduced uh, to make sure that this never happens again. I expect to receive bipartisan support.
4: Bobert also touched upon the COVID 19 pandemic, the economy, and infrastructure, then took questions from the crowd. Only one adult asked the freshman lawmaker a question.
3: If you're not reelected, will you promise to pass on those cases to your successor? Without a doubt,
2: yes,
5: absolutely.
4: The rest of the questions for the Congress member came from three eighth grade students from the Lake City
2: Community School. What is your policy on rural schools like ours?
5: Um, so I'm very much a proponent of school choice. There is an SRS program that helps rural schools and uh, that is something that we are helping promote and, and keep. So yesterday we were looking on your website about
0: education policies and we couldn't find anything. Um, do you know where we could find
5: more information about your education policy? I guess I could put something out there. Um, it, was, it was just pretty simple of us.
2: Do you think renewable energy is important?
5: Absolutely. I am for an all of the above energy approach and multi use on our public lands.
4: After audience questions, Bobert stuck around for a meet and greet. Once the crowd thinned, I got a short interview with her. We discussed Pilt, forest management, and broadband. Lastly, I asked Bobert about recent headlines that some of her foes snagged the copyright on her Shooter's Grill logo. Bobert quickly ended the interview there saying they've bought your Shooter's Grill trademark and. Now it is in their name. I'm not discussing ongoing yeah, litigation. We're ready. Thank you. Okay. Have a nice day. Our interview lasted less than six minutes. Reporting from Lake City, I'm Laura Palmisano.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Saturday should be mostly sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night with a high in the mid 60s and a low around 40. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Sunday, there is a 30% chance of showers with mostly sunny skies and a high near 65. Sunday night, expect partly cloudy skies with a low around 35 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, May 14th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary.
1: This is Douglas Tooley. You haven't heard a commentary from me in a while. You might also recall my Jerry Green-style Basin River reports from 2015 and 2016. I'm here today to announce my candidacy for the Mountain Village Town Council. My biggest reason to step into the ring is for this pulpit and to avoid obstructions on free speech we have locally. Open debate is critical to making sound public decisions, especially on capital projects obstructing free speech in planning and political debate is a violation of the fiduciary responsibility of our leadership, not to mention a crime against humanity violation of human rights. When that leadership on the right and left panders to the victims encouraging them to become abusers, we have a serious problem. When that manipulation includes groundless accusations of sexual maliciousness, it is all the worse. A minor recent minor allegation of this is in the Freebox discussion. As presented on Kodo News, the Voodoo Lounge site is a great alternative, as Kodo's Jumping Jan Zinc eloquently advocated. But there is an alternative behind Second Chance Thrift Store, a location supported by many. This location merits professional staff consideration, yet it was completely omitted in the Kodo story. In Mountain Village, the failure of the current planning and community development staff to analyze and execute housing options is a huge problem. As a resident of Village Court Apartments since 2014, I've seen these and related problems up close. I've been constructive, including advocating for a new residence committee. Yet, I have consistently been defamed as a second-class citizen. Perhaps the solution for this and other reasons is to merge the town of Mountain Village into Tayloride to gain the expertise of their stellar housing development staff. For your consideration, I would suggest retaining both Mountain Village's design review board and the owner's association. I believe a professional evaluation of this would also show substantial cost savings. The question of gondola financing after the termination of the 2027 contract must also be addressed in these next four years. Current Mountain Village Transportation and Parks head Jim Loby is clearly the best person to do this and to integrate the three transit agencies. We now have serving a population of 8,000 in this county. Current manager Kim Montgomery is also the most professional of our three Telluride area public executives. As always, I speak truth to power and I'm not afraid to fail in that quest. I would appreciate your support both at the ballot box in Mountain Village and in the Telluride area planning dialogues.
0: Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4pm. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Cutout. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.